the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses, and this podcast is just us chatting every week about the reality of anything and everything property. Now, unfortunately, our reality this week is that we haven't managed to line up recording with our guest that we were hoping to talk to about energy efficiency and EPCs and property and building and landlording and all all sorts of wonderful things. So we will unfortunately not be talking about those things today. We will try our best to, to line line up our recordings better for a future episode uh, and still bring you all of that fantastic information and, and content. But for now, I'm afraid you're stuck with just Stuart and I chatting about some, some other hopefully interesting property things. And whether you think they're interesting or not, perhaps you could let us know. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at biz of property that's b-i-z of property so so please do get in touch let us know whether you think we're, we're talking about good things bad things send us questions anything you like really and we are going to get started with some electrician stories so what's yours today Stuart? well it's it's a really short and old tale of us getting an electrician out to fit in an electric hob and oven into our little studio flat and we were expecting a cost of around 100 pounds maybe a little bit more but rather than just taking the oven out and replacing it for 100 pounds we got an invoice for 396 pounds to be fair the electrician did do and i i do want to say this electrician did do a very good job sent photos and was outstanding but our electrician tale is simply that it's a reminder that whatever you think you're going to budget for in property maintenance, at least double it, at least double it. But yeah, that was a short tale. But I met with the electrician, very nice guy, did a really good job, actually. And it just took a lot longer than we were expecting because it was originally done 20 years ago. He's then redone it, done it properly, fused it. So it's now safe for tenants. So it's a, it's an old tale, but actually for all the right reasons. What's, what's your uh, electrician tale? Old regulations versus new regulations, yeah. which is actually, actually similar to mine, really. So you, I'm sure, know, and hopefully uh, all our listeners know, that when you're renting out property these days, you have to have an EICR, an electrical safety certificate. The, these last for five years, you only have to have, get them done every five years. And this was a new rule that came in mm, a couple of years ago, I think I'm wanting to say. Not 100% certain now, going, going back. But it's relatively recent. And there was a, a big rush for all the property people, all the landlords, to go out and get these done. So electricians were super busy and, and sort of a, a bit pressured to get through them all. But one of my rental properties, some, some of my rental properties in different areas, so some of them I'd done in advance and some of them got done around the time that those were sorted. One of them in particular, though, in, in one particular area, so only this one covered by this, this electrician, they, they came in and they... they did the certificate and they sent through the certificate and now uh, approximately a year and a bit or two years or something after the the event of actually doing the work they have now finally invoiced for it <laughs> so, so i don't quite know what this electrician has been living on for the last last two years <laughs> but but they, they seem to only just be getting around to issuing invoices for the for their eicr work and, and in this case it was updating some of the the fuse box and panel and stuff so i mean it was 500 or quid invoice so it's not insignificant but yeah i, 
I don't get it. I mean, surely, surely the, the most important thing from, from a small business's point of view is to get the invoice out. <laughs> well, as we know, trades, trades people particularly, and I think uh, they wouldn't mind me saying it, but there's definitely a higher penetration of uh, their sort of abilities around administration and, you know, business process and, and uh, electrician I used, I think didn't request payment for four to six months. And we're talking, you know, this was thousands of pounds. And I did remark to him, I said, business must be going well for you right now if you're not chasing me for this payment. And then he proceeded to chase me regularly. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite literally, yes. Perhaps, perhaps we should move on to something else you asked for in a roundabout way. And this is a property that you're, you're hopefully lining up a, a purchase for. And this is a direct-to-vendor purchase. So, so do you want to fill us in a bit on the background and then we can chat around how it arose and, and, and other fun, fun things? Yeah, well, this is one of those situations where I think until you're in property, you're not really sure how they come about, if they're really true. or uh, And the other thing is, I think a lot of things for me kind of got a, a little bit tainted by all of the property courses that talk about direct to vendor this and direct to vendor that. And it can, it can feel like a bit of a, a, a dirty word to me sometimes about how this happens. But what, what my experience has shown me now that, that actually most things will happen as a result of relationships that you start to build in property. And, you know, as we've talked about, just trying to help people in property. And I'll, I'll condense this down into a, hopefully a very short story. But essentially, I did some activity uh, a couple of years back looking for rent to rent landlords, landlords that just were fed up with, you know, random rent revenues, voids and so on and so forth. Anyway, this this land uh, landlord reached out and I've been in touch with them for about a year and a half and actually supporting them in, in upgrading their property. So for, for, for about a year and a half, a lot's happened within the property, painting, redecoration, carpeting, new kitchens and so on. And it's, it got to a stage where we kind of said, look, either we're going to do this or we're not. And then the the owner said, actually, we've now decided to make a sale. I, I did find out that there was an estate agent at the property because I had a... A, a, a spy watching. Yes. Well, yeah, one of my spies from, a, from my local team that said, oh, there's an agent at this property. And so I knew that the owner now wanted to sell. So I said, look, if you're looking to sell, we could potentially come to an agreement and been batting around prices and yeah came to an agreement as of today as we're recording actually about an hour ago got a text to say that that we're agreed so long way to go in the property conveyancing process but we've 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 hit the first hurdle fantastic so my my first question is what what is this property it's a five bed two bathroom victorian terrace property it's within a stone's throw of the university it's in my sort of target investment area and yeah that that's that's kind of what it is it's and although we've mentioned that work that's been done it's probably still i would put it somewhere on the mid scale of qualities and that's not to be you know disrespectful of the house but i think it's it's one of those well, i just call it a mid a, a mid range property it'll probably be fine for working professionals and the lower price point students in the market. 
where are you thinking you would take this property in into the young professionals or into the student market or, or have you not decided it's it's yet to be decided however because of its proximity to the university it's also minutes i mean it's literally across the road and you're at the at the main train station but because of what we want to do to the property with with my sort of investor partner on this one we, we probably will be looking at still spending a few quid and it seems a bit counterintuitive and even there's part of me that says look we because I know I've I've seen this property develop over the last year and a half, and I've seen it its quality raise from what I would consider very low marks out of ten to now mid range marks out of ten to then go in and start smashing things around seems a little bit counterintuitive. But that's kind of what we do, and what I want to do. Because of that, one of the things I've lo- I'm looking at is that we'd probably give it to students purely because it will save us a couple of grand on council tax a year. And, you know, over five years, that's a significant amount of money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning a bit then. So you mentioned that you you found this property and this, this landlord through a, a sort of rent-to-rent campaign. So what, what what is a rent-to-rent campaign? Well, uh, these can take many forms, but essentially a, a rent-to-rent campaign will just be reaching out to landlords and you can do that via direct mail you can do it via social media facebook linkedin email my my background is actually direct marketing so it's something i'm very familiar with actually quite enjoy cuz it it means i get to use some skills from 20 years ago that i haven't used so writing copy or you know just reaching out and and just that whole process so essentially it's just a marketing campaign online or offline meaning either letters or digital and then just you know dealing with the inbound conversations that happen as a result yeah so uh, i i think direct mail marketing is one of the sort of main ways that's promoted in property training courses to do this kind of thing and one of the ways that they suggest you you find your mailing list is through requesting the the HMO landlord register from councils and I think you've done this in the past, and and you've recently requested that that list, but this time it came with a big fat warning. Um, what what's that? Well, in in summary, it's it's GDPR, which means you know you, you have to have express permission to use data with the purposes of marketing in mind, and. You know, that, that probably is the, the caveat to anyone listening is that you do have to be really careful now. And I think what that means is we're all going to have to look for new ways. But as you said pr- before we hit the record button, when it comes to landlords, there are so many different ways you can get this data. I have also recently got a quote for buying landlord data. And if you're, if you're purchasing data, obviously one of the remits is that these people have opted in to receive marketing activity, whether they knew they did or not. Obviously, legally, they they should have. Yes, yeah, so you can buy that data. It's not cheap. We're not not cheap for us anyway. You know, talking about you know, you're talking about probably around a thousand pounds for for a couple of thousand names and addresses. However, that is one route. You can also what I do as well is you can go on to all of the the, the portals and you can look for properties that are empty that are quite clearly uh, student or HMOs, and typically you'll see them as. Uh, as that because they'll talk about rooms spare rooms very good for that you can tick on a box that says look for whole houses 
and and actually I you can cross reference that with the HMO register. So it's one of these things where people and my first reaction when I you know GDPR came across is like oh god well that's another route closed to us all that we can't do and don't get me wrong it's for the right reasons none of us likes to get junk mail but I would say you know in the last five years when I've done campaigns I've maybe had two complaints and probably okay you, you could argue it's too too many but to be honest you know if I've mailed 2,000 people and I've had two people complain about it you know I, I don't you know, send a mailing every week, for example. So it's not like I'm really spamming people. But yeah, so there's so there's lots of different ways you can do it. You can still get HMO register and just use that. I actually use the HMO register for other reasons in terms of understanding whether I might get planning permission on a property. But that's a that's a different conversation. Yeah, indeed. And there's yeah, there's lots of uses for that that data. I think that there's other grey areas around this, in so much as when where marketing is concerned you're not supposed to market to consumers unless they're given express permission but the rules are a bit different around businesses and is a landlord a business or is a is a landlord uh, especially a smaller landlord perhaps still just a consumer and and this is something i'm never quite sure about in in patma either i mean i don't do any direct marketing in that that sense but i i'm never quite sure if if patma is a a b2c business so a consumer business or a b2b business um for, for businesses and it's, it's always a bit of a, a mix and how you categorize mm. it but something that that sort of i mean I'll, I'll say bugs me but i mean it's, it's not a big issue but there there are other ways to get contact details and one of them is through the land registry and this is public data if you like there are Every property that is owned has an owner with name and address in the land registry. And you can go to the land registry and you can pay £3, I think it is, for a title deed for any property and it has this information in it. Now, nobody putting that data into the land registry has said, yes, please send me marketing information. But at the same time, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know where the marketing rules are around that. But Letting agencies certainly use this. And when you put a, a property up for rent on portals and things, I've had this in the past. Local letting agencies obviously spot that and they will go to the land registry, pay their three quid, and they'll send you a nice, nice letter saying, oh, we see your, your property is up for rent. Have you considered using our wonderful letting services? I, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know where the rules are around that, but they certainly still seem to be doing that. I think you said, Stuart, you've you've had some of these letters recently as well. Oh yeah, so the studio flat which I put on the market via Visum to to put it on ourselves. Well, within a week, we had five five letters in the in the house saying it looks like you're trying to rent a property. Would you consider our services? So, so like you say, I think I mean I think they've clearly got a service which flags up a property and gives them that property address now i can't remember it might just say to the homeowner or something i, I, I probably does because i would think that that also maybe gives them a little bit of latitude if it's just to the occupier the homeowner or the occupier because then it's not personal I, i'm not sure where your letters were sent you can tell us in a moment but where the last time i rented a property uh, as in rented it out i received i can't remember how many but at least one letter to the property itself so that that's fair enough. They've they've they know the property is up for for rent, and again you say addressed to the homeowner or landlord. I can't remember how, what they use, but 
delivered to that address. But I also received at least one letter to my home address. And again, I can't remember quite how they, they addressed it, whether it was to me personally, but regardless of the name on it, they've clearly looked up my home address based on being the, the owner of a rental property that they've actually found. So there's definitely some extra lookup of, of information there. And I've seen software products out there that actually do this for people, for, for letting agents. And, and they can sort of en masse say, find me the, find me the landlords of, of all these properties and put mail merge this letter and send it out. So, so yeah, there, there are services that, that specifically do this. But yeah, I don't quite know where that fits in the, in the marketing rules. Yeah, like you say, I mean, there's there's there's, there's a lot of grey area, and that's where you know you, you you have to try and play if you if you want to do this without receiving ridiculous fines. Yeah, so so I think the summary is direct marketing can be used and and does work clearly because you you've had results from it, but be careful, be careful where you get the data, be careful how you use it, and just just do some do your own research and work out whether you think you're you're within the rules or not because of course you can just walk down a street and say oh that is clearly being used as a an hmo and i want to try and contact the 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 owner so put a letter through the letterbox and address to the to the homeowner well yeah i mean yeah there's there are ways you i mean if you know an area within a circumference of um within a university or a hospital or where there's a high penetration of hmos you can do door drops. They're still highly legal. And a door drop, for anyone that doesn't know, is is, is unpersonalised mail. But you'd pick a postcode or a uh, more specifically a postal sector, because a postcode is about fifteen addresses. This is this is data that's old from my head from about twenty years ago. But you'd pick a postal sector and door drop. And so you just create one generic letter that says we're interested in your property, which you'll see all the time through your rental properties. Of course, you know, the immediate thing I think about that is, is the thing about door drops is you're because you're one step removed. A, you're probably not going to the target recipient's home. It's unpersonalized. So it has that junk factor, i.e. could just get picked up and thrown, thrown straight into the, the recycling. However, there are other ways of doing it. And as you say, you know, it, also you could just start write, writing your own letters. Indeed. Right. Let's move on from from direct marketing and and sort of reaching out to people. You you achieved that and the, this property owner got in touch with you and you were initially talking about rent to rent but have you have you actually done any rent to rent sort of structures or deals or whatever with this this property owner no we didn't ever get to the stage of signing the agreement so an agreement was created reviewed and actually agreed in terms of principle so the numbers and the the terms were all agreed but it was just that the owner wanted to to do certain things to the property before before we progressed with the deal. And and again, because it's taken over a year and a half, quite obviously things change, people change, and circumstances change, and therefore the owner now got to a stage where they clearly just want to release the capital from from the property. I think you said your your spies found out that, that this was potentially being sold rather than anything else <laughs> and and then you presumably got back in touch with, with the homeowner and asked them about that how did that conversation start and progress and and things well it was very open because i mentioned it to the owner and said oh it looks like an estate agent's been there the owner said yeah we 
you know, we, we are looking at it and these are the options and why. And it was quite clear to me that the owner was being transparent, weren't trying to hide anything. It was just they said that they were looking at options. And because of that, that sort of made me feel a bit more confident to say, OK, well, we'd, we'd like to put in an offer. Obviously, you know, someone I, I felt was being more opaque or maybe trying to misdirect or, or you know, because I'd provided some of my contacts and and support to help with the property. And if I felt that that was kind of not being reciprocated, then, then I wouldn't feel so great about, you know, entering into a, a non-traditional purchase process, if that makes sense. But because I felt we're still having good open conversations, it, it felt to me, obviously, that's not the only indicator. I had to look at the numbers and work out whether the numbers would work for you know, my company, they, you know, my uh, investors company. And they do. They just about work out to a way where we think this would be a good investment given the current market and certainly the current market in the uh, in the area. So how did you arrive at that number? Did, did you did you research it and work out what it would be and make an offer? Or did they say this is what we're looking for? Can can you meet that? Where, where, where did that go or where did that start? Yeah, so it's just a simple question. What what do you want for your property? And the owner gave us that number. And I went away, looked at that number versus what I think we'd need to invest into it, the costs, what I think the future value, the GDV, the gross development value. I call it GDV, even though these aren't standard developments. It's more around a, a property upgrading and then a, a hopeful revaluation in, say, six months' time. And if those numbers sort of stack up in a way where, you know, we, we're going to get a good return within a couple of years, then then we'll look to go forward. Clearly, from the from the owner's perspective, they are going to save agents fees. So to be honest, I, I pretty, they're pretty much getting what they wanted for the property. But uh, as I said to you before, the difference is we get to agree some different terms. And, and I guess the one to highlight for this one is that the the owner gets what they want for the property, but we will agree early access to the property, which legally is called a keys undertaking. And it's exactly that. We undertake to take the keys and we can start doing things to the property, but we are legally then responsible for that property and everything in it. And I've done that previously. But what that means is that rather than have to wait for the three to five month conveyancing cycle, you know, add months as necessary, we can hopefully, you know, once we get the first bit of paperwork drawn up, get access to the property, start doing the works as quickly as we need to. And hopefully that'll be within within the next few weeks, get access to it, just need to get the building team agreed and, and uh, statement of works, schedule of works agreed and, and get moving. A few weeks, that really is, is quite quick to, to get going. The, is, is it tenanted right now? No, it's been empty for a little while. And yeah, so it's been empty the time that we've been in conversation. So year and a half, possibly more. That also opens up other opportunities. So with problems come opportunities. So the problem of something being empty for two years is, as we all know, you know, we've got damp, we've got unused heating, water. So there'll be a few skeletons which come out of the closet. Equally, when a home's been empty for a while, there are other 
benefits that we can look at. One is if you're redeveloping a property rather than paying 20% VAT, if, if your building works was going to attract a 20% VAT, we might be able to reduce that to 5%. So that could help. So there's little things like that. There used to be an empty homes grant as well from the council, which I don't think that's available anymore, but it's something we'll look at just to see if there's any other support we can get. Yeah, so there's, as always, there's with problem comes opportunity. Does the, the council in, in this area have a limit on council tax uh, reduction? So it used to be that when a property was empty, you didn't have to pay council tax on it for some while now, some years. It's been the case that most councils have either taken that away completely or they just give you a, a few months where you don't have to pay council tax when it's empty. So are you going to be looking to have to, to pay council tax because it's already been empty for for too long or it, does that does your council have a longer period well in other properties we have had to pay council tax even when it's empty as you say we, we got a you know an initial period where there was zero tax and then it's kind of got phased in so there might have been a, a slight reduction in the rate but Again, what I'll do is I'll argue with the council that it was a student property. It will be, again, a student property and just see. But usually the computer will say no, and we'll have to pay whatever the computer says that we have to pay. But that's, again, that's all just the cost of doing the business with this particular development. So you said you're, you're looking to, to knock this house around a bit. We're, we're nearly out of time. So just very quickly, what are you planning to do with it? And how long do you think that, that might take? I think the works will take about three to four months. And again, in my head, I'm expecting it shouldn't be it shouldn't be more than six to eight weeks, but I've just doubled it if you just refer back to electrician conversation at the start. But essentially all we'll be doing is probably knocking some holes through walls and putting in en suites and just upgrading the the property, you know, I would say by to a good standard where we've got nice brick walls and all of a sudden it's just a place where people want to come and chill as well so uh, typically that's it there's going to be a couple of other bits of work we have to do but essentially it will really be just put on suites in and refurbishing to a really high level so that people are attracted to the property and you know that that's my modus operandi is is it a property where the students or the working professionals would be happy to invite their friends around and if the answer is yes then we're doing a good job fantastic well i look forward to hearing more as that project progresses and you can tell us all about the uh the extending times and extending costs and, and budget overruns <laughs> oh, <yeah. Thanks. laughs> and all those things we've got to look forward to. <laughs> but for this episode, I'm afraid we are completely out of time. So as mentioned at the beginning, please do reach out to us. You can contact us through Twitter. We are at biz of property. That's B-I-Z of property. Or there's a contact form on the website, thebusinessofproperty.com, which is also where you can find all the show notes. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week. <laughs>